Welcome to Series 9 of York Hospital Ball. Feels good to have a podcast back out there. As many of you know, I've been really struggling recently. Personally, my, my wife sadly passed away three months ago, very suddenly, and life has obviously changed very much so for me. Um, I didn't think I was probably going to do any more podcasts, but, you know, with the support of uh, the York City community, I think it was something I reflected on and felt it was probably going to be a good distraction for me as part of my kind of grieving process and, and also some something to give back to where uh, the people have been so so supportive so once i made that decision to to do another series paddy mclaughlin was was one of the first people i thought of really and, and thankfully michael ingham put me in touch with him he's uh, someone that obviously has now had two promotions and you know has been a, a york city legend for some time and um I, I was sick of waiting for him to become an ex-player really to be honest so i thought well might as well bite the bullet and see if i can get him on anyway and, uh, you know, really glad I did. I think people will enjoy this interview. He's, he actually came to York Hospital Radio Studios. It was really nice to record it sort of face-to-face. I think they're always better than, than doing it on Zoom, but sometimes Zoom is, is really good for logistical reasons. As ever, it goes chronologically through a player's career, and Paddy's had a, a lot of success over over his career, not just at York City, but also with his country, Northern Ireland. And, and at the end of the interview, you'll hear Paddy's all-time York City 11, which I know he deliberated over quite, quite a fair bit. These podcasts are obviously a spin-off of York Hospital Radio. Charity relies on donations to keep providing a service to patients in York Hospital. So if you are willing to donate anything really, no matter how big or small, the uh, website is justgiving.com forward slash York Hospital Radio. And, uh, you know, many of you have in the past. Many of you have donated more than once. Um, well, I think we're up to the thousands now of, of the kind of donations we've managed to raise through this podcast. So all of that is greatly appreciated, as is the support that people have shown me recently. So uh, without further ado, here is uh, Series 9, Episode 1, Paddy McLaughlin. Right, thanks Paddy for joining us on the eve of your seventh season at York City and off the back of your second promotion with the club. But let's go back a few years. Um, born in Larn, Northern Ireland, you joined Newcastle United in 2008 as a 16-year-old. How did you end up at Newcastle? Basically what happens is in Northern Ireland, at that stage anyway, there's a few more now, there's, there was no academies as such, you know, affiliated to the, the big clubs, so your Linfields, your Glen Torrens, Crusaders and whatnot, they, they didn't have academy sides. So everybody just played boys club football and you would have scouts from various... English, Scottish, whoever, clubs that would come over and, you know, select players, have a look at players, take people over to train with their academies or, or play matches or whatever. And it was a, a guy called Peter Kirkley, a bit of a legend in Newcastle, big sort of affiliation with Walsh and Boys Club. And I think the list of players that he's brought through or unearthed or whatever whatever word you want to use um, over the years in the North East is, is colossal. But he, was, he happened to be over, seen me playing in a game over there and in, invited me over. Um, did, did you know he was there watching or no I didn't no. it was one of them things where you never really knew who was there you would see coats or you mm. know a, a tracksuit top or something and you would such and such a team was there or whatever but without blowing my own trumpet there was there was quite a lot of teams that were showing an interest at that at that time my dad's got a wee blue book in the house and it's got just name and number after number the phone was just you know, going all the time saying, can we take him over and have a look at him? Can we take him over? And I ended up going, I think it was nine or ten clubs in the end that I spent, some I spent a few days with, some I went back two or three times and narrowed the decision down and decided on Newcastle. As At that time, they were sort of, you know, Europa League, UEFA Cup as it was then, every season. And obviously, massive, massive club. And I just felt comfortable there and felt that that was the best place for me to develop as a, as a footballer and, and you know that's why it's quite intimidating is it as a, as a young boy I imagine going over for these trials and coming back and absolutely yeah I think I was first one I went to was was Portsmouth I went over to Portsmouth when I was 
13. So that was like last week of the school holidays in the summer was, you know, fly over, do some training at Portsmouth, under whatever 14s I think at the time and you going with your parents here or are you no just, no you just just, just me and me and a lad called Jordan Hughes who ended up signing for Portsmouth we played in the same boys club team and, and you know we both flew over with the scout a guy called Robbie Walker again who's you know got a history of you know finding some really good players and that was yeah that was the first one I went on so so 13 and then it was kind of from 13 to 16 was nearly every other weekend there was you know somewhere yeah days out of school for fun which so is, this is quite exciting but it quite, was, it quite was amazing yeah it was, it, was, uh, it was and it was yeah nerve-wracking going into these different environments and different clubs and you know we always got the the tag of the Irish boys the Irish boys are over the Irish boys you know mm. but uh, incredibly exciting and going back into school on a Monday morning and telling everybody about Man City and Bolton Wanderers and yeah. Middlesbrough and Celtic and whoever else. Yeah, what was. did you do at the weekend? I went to the pa- I went to Man City. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it was. Um, yeah, that was incredible. Because, because Northern Ireland used to have the, I don't know if it's still going like the Milk Cup and, and Milk a lot Cup, of players yeah, used yeah. to be scouted from that, didn't they? Yeah. Years ago, and so there's quite a lot of history, isn't there, of, of sort of players from Northern Ireland coming over to England. Yeah, and, and I think it's, it's you know the clubs in England and, and Scotland probably just seen it as a, a bit of an untapped market as such mm. and. You know, there was no ties on any players because of the, you know, no academies. There was no price tag on anybody. So you could go over there, get a 14-year-old, 15-year-old. You couldn't actually move over until you were 16 because of, like, you know, distance, radius, rules and all that sort of stuff. But they could pick the best players in, in Northern Ireland, you know, and, and bring them into their academy ready to start at 16. Yeah, and I guess if they weren't any good, they've not really lost out, have they, in terms of not, financial... Not really, like you know. That. And if they do, then they can make a lot of money yeah. if someone turns out um, to be. And I suppose, you, you know, that there was a... As you say, there's a steady flow of, of players that have you know have came over and made careers in Premier League and you know throughout the football league. So yeah, I suppose it's a it's a bit of a, a no-brainer for for clubs. I mean, I tried to research the reserve team that you were part of, and I don't know how mm-hmm. accurate it was, but but kind of players quoted as playing around the sort of same time as you in the reserves. Certainly, your last season there was like Tim Krull, Stephen Taylor, Sammy Amiobi, James Tavernier, yeah. Paul Dummett, and coached by Peter Beardsley. I mean. Yeah. How how do you look upon those experiences in relation to your sort of career development? It was brilliant, to be honest. It was a strange time at that club as well. The the, the four years that I was there, two thousand and seven to two thousand and eleven, was like I think we went through something like nine or ten managers. It was turmoil at times. It was unbelievably harmonious at times. But like I, I think Glenn Roder was actually I think he was first team manager when I actually signed. And but in between me signing and actually moving over, he had gone and, and Sam Allardyce was in charge. And then you had like Kevin Keegan, Joe Kinnear, Chris Shooten, Alan Shearer for a, a brief spell, a relegation thrown in there, which was like catastrophe for a club of that size at that time. And, you know, there was all sorts of, they wanted Mike Ashley out. They were trying to sell the club. There was, remember that pre-season actually when, when we were just in the championship and there was like unpaid bills for Lucasaid stuff and there was 52,000 singing Mike Ashley get out of our club and, and it was turmoil but then fast forward 10 months later and it was it was you know incredible joy because they'd, they'd been promoted back into the Premier League but just in, in terms of like I was playing with, with some incredible players that have played and you know you've got Michael Owen telling stories about playing in the World Cup and people like Alan Smith Nicky Butt Kevin Nolan real like quality players that you were just like a sponge just like trying to take everything in and, and you know trying to learn from these guys and I suppose developing habits that probably stick with me still now and did Peter Beardsley sort of ever join in training all the time <laughs> all the time and he was still the best player to be honest <laughs> yeah Peter's a great guy I don't really remember him playing to be honest but obviously everybody knows who Peter Beardsley is and I, again it was it was brilliant just to have somebody of that calibre you know passing on you know wee bits of knowledge and tips and, and pointers and whatnot. and it was as I say just 
you know, like a sponge, just taking it all in. And I noticed that you, you captain Newcastle reserves quite a, quite a fair bit, mm. and also Northern Ireland under twenty ones. Were you a natural leader, sort of growing up? Then, or was that something that someone tried to instill in you, sort of leadership qualities? I, I don't know. Nobody, definitely nobody, tried to instill it in me. But yeah, throughout my career, Northern Ireland, from you know, starting off in under fourteens or whatever it was, or under fifteens, Northern Ireland, a, a captain. Every every level, right up to twenty ones, and captain the youth team at Newcastle quite a few times, reserve team, and yeah, just always seemed to to get thrown the armband. I don't know whether that was something that the managers seen or, but I never really tried to do anything different than just you know play my own game and, and try and be. I suppose try and be an example to the other players in the way like I do try and do things right, you know, on and off the pitch, and like to think I you know I, I work hard at, at my game. And do you think maybe work, was that maturity then? That, that maybe you maybe have, maybe have that, that was it. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's certainly nothing that was ever anybody ever tried to you know mold me into anything or anything that I ever thought about really. Uh, you know, I was never too fussed whether I had the armband or not. It was just always, you know, something that I was I was given, and I was incredibly proud to do it. Yeah, I mean, ten, ten caps for the under twenty ones, and um, I noticed your final one was at Blackpool versus England. You were up against John Henderson in midfield, mm-hmm. and I think Josh Carson was also playing for Northern Ireland. Yeah, yeah. You know, that that must have been a, a real good experience of having those caps. And I've, I've looked at some of the countries that you travelled to; it must yeah. have all sort of broadened your horizons a little. Oh bit. yeah, and as I say before, you know, time out of school and whatnot. When you know, going back from from under 21s back into like under 16s under 17s we were playing in, in the victory shield i don't know if you've heard of that yeah, as, a, yeah, as a tournament yeah. sky sports coverage as a as a 15 year old like it was yeah. incredible and you know i was pl- playing sort of in my own age group and playing in the in the year above in the 17s as well so they were they were going european championship qualifying so i'd like miss a week of school to go to belgium and play a, a qualifier or go to germany and, and play qualifiers and whatnot and it was just yeah, travelling all around the world as a all around Europe as a as a fifteen, sixteen year old and it was incredibly lucky just to, to be in that, that position to, to be able to do that. I guess being around your mates as well. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There, we were so. all we were all in the same boat. We were all trying to make a way in the game and just enjoying ourselves, I suppose. But to sort of go back to, to that England game, that was for that to be my last cap was really nice. Massive team, some really, really good players. I actually, Jordan Henderson at that time, he's gone on to have an incredible, incredible career and won everything in the game pretty much. But he wasn't really the, st- the star player. He was captain of that side, but he wasn't really the star player in that side. And I remember, you know, sort of thinking before the game, standing in the tunnel, and I was thinking, you know, I should really get his shirt after, after the game or try and get his shirt after the game. And Tom Ince at the time was... There was so much said about him and how he was going to be the next. You I know, think he real... was playing for Blackpool at the time. He was wasn't playing it? for Blackpool, yeah. yeah, and he was he was in incredible form, and everybody was sort of talking about him. He was being linked with Liverpool and Man United, and he was you know he was destined to be and the next big thing in the Premier League. And I actually went and got his shirt, and in hindsight, like don't get me wrong, he still had a you know an incredible career and nice one to have in the house, but probably looking back someone else has got Henderson's somebody else has got Henderson's and maybe that would have been the one to get <laughs> I mean did, did you ever get close to getting an opportunity in the first team at Newcastle I mean it sounds like it was quite chaotic the amount of managers you had there and that must have been difficult for you to you know particularly if there's relegation on the horizon they're probably unlikely yeah. to throw in a, a, a young player at it at that point but but were you ever close to getting getting a call I up? felt like the season in the championship as it went on, I was training more and more regularly with them and felt I was I was getting somewhere. And I mean hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? But I sometimes wonder if we hadn't have been promoted, would, you know, another season in the championship and maybe I'd just been because obviously more games, we probably wouldn't have made the signings that we did. Like we, we you know, we went out and, and bought Jack Teoti, which was another option in midfield. And 
Yeah, maybe, maybe the championship. The, uh, you know, another season in the championship might have just been that little break that that I needed. But as I say, hindsight's a wonderful thing. It's um, it, it was just it was still an incredible experience just to to be in and around it. And you joined York City first time around in, in 2011. But sort of when I was researching for this interview and, and thinking about that sort of pedigree, that, you know, the Northern Ireland pedigree and the Newcastle mm. reserve team and being captain and everything, it sort of surprised me then that, that you did have to start your pro career in, in the sort of non-league. Did you have offers above that level and, and how did sort of Gary sell it to you? There was bits and pieces floating around. There was clubs, you know, in the football league that were, that were sort of having a look but wouldn't really commit, you know, at that stage. And I was really keen to to get in somewhere from the first day of pre-season and, you know, and get a good pre-season under my belt rather than maybe going on trial somewhere or waiting for something better to come along, if you like. And to be totally honest with you, when the, when the offer came from York, I didn't discard it because, I, you know, I still came down and, and met Gary and, and Darren G at the time. But I kind of just thought, well, that's there in the background and I'll you know I'll see what else is out there sort of thing and then I came down and met Gary and Darren and he looked across the table and he said we're you know we're going to get promoted this year and I want you to be a part of it and probably one of the only times in my career I believed every word he said he, I, I don't know why or how but I knew as soon as he looked at me and said that 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 was happening and yeah I suppose that idea sort of started to to grow in my mind and you know I thought that would be incredible to be a part of for for a club that's been, you know, outside the football league for I think it was eight years at that time, and I, I remember him saying as well, "Go and have a walk into the city." We were we were sitting in the office at Bootham Crescent, and he said, uh, "Go and have a walk into the city and and see the city, and you know, you might uh, just make your decision for you, and you know, and all that." There, and I remember walking around and thinking, "You know, this this place is nice," and it it just it just was a gut feeling that that's the one that's you know that's there right in front of me, and that's I liked what he what he had to say, I believed in what he had to say, and um, I felt wanted. And that was that was nice at that time, and it, it turned out to be you know the right call. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's fair to say that you, you settled very quickly, and and the season as a whole, you know, fifty plus appearances, thirteen goals. I mean, you could have had your own goal of a season competition, I think, before Christmas. Just looking back at some of them, but I picked out three goals that I thought we'd we'd discuss in a bit more detail. So the first one, home to Barrow, your first professional goal. Home debut, great first touch to sort of uh, get it out of your feet and then you buried it into the corner. Was it a relief to sort of get off the mark so quick? And what, what do you remember about your home debut? Yeah, I don't really remember it being a relief. I suppose when you're young, you just kind of take it all in your stride, don't you? And I hadn't put myself under any pressure to, you know, to score early in the season or anything like that. And I think we just played such such a good brand of attacking, flowing football that chances were they were abundant and I think we actually ended that season with was it five players in double figures which is an incredible start really but yeah remember that goal you know just the feeling of the ball nestling in the corner I think Jason Walker was behind me saying something like you know if you hadn't if you hadn't scored that you were for it because I think it was coming into his path nicely but yeah just elation and then you know, luckily for me, the, the goals just seemed to, to keep coming and it was a, a real sort of purple patch that season. Yeah, well, the, the next one I wanted to talk about was uh, the one away to Wrexham, the, the free kick, I think I think one 3-0 that day. Mm-hmm. And straight off the training ground, was it? It was, yeah. Darren G, special. <laughs> I can't remember when, whether it was something in pre-season or whether it was the, the week leading up to that game or whatever, but we'd, we'd run through that one in, in training. And yeah, it just came, it, it came off so nice. I, th- I can't remember who it was on the end of the wall for, for Wrexham, but you know he came charging out and then nearly done his knee in, trying to change direction to, to get off after the ball and to get a nice sweet connection on it and to see it hit the top corner was... Because I'd actually been out of the team for... I'd been away with Northern Ireland and came out of the team for a couple of games, so that was that was my first game back in the, in the starting lineup. And it was early in the game, I can't remember, was it four or five minutes in it, was it? Yeah, I think so, and I think I think we were 3 up at half-time as yeah, well. Yeah, we were, game. we really... It was a really, we, really sort of strong performance. We sort of blew them away, and take, as we did a, a, a couple of times that season with, with different teams, I remember the Luton game at, at Bootham Crescent as well with something similar. 
similar. But it, it just, all them moments just, you know, gave me the confidence to go on and, and have a real good season. But I suppose when I look back at it now, like, to play that many games, score that many goals at 20, 21 was pretty good. And, and the, the third one I was, I was going to discuss in a bit of detail was, was a way to Lou. And I, I know it wasn't probably your best goal of the season. You sort of want the cleanest of volleys that yeah. sort of got it in the corner. But I was sort of thinking back that it was quite a significant goal in terms of sort of the psychological element to it because Luton were winning 1-0 and I mm. think if they'd have hung on that game that might have sort of changed the dynamics of things going forward the fact that you equalised and went on and won it mm-hmm. I just think Luton always had that barrier then that, mm. that York City almost had their number did, did you sort of think that? Yeah we just seemed to have something over them that season didn't we and did we play them five times in total I think we did we did we win all five or was there maybe one draw in there? Yeah, it was the FA Trophy. The FA Trophy one, was it? it the the one draw in the the second leg and it. Yeah, we just we we seemed to have one over. I, I do remember some lads will probably disagree with me on this one, but I remember sitting in the hotel the night before the playoff final, and thinking, you know, we've we've played them four times and we've got their number. You know, is this going to be the one, the one that really matters? Is this going to be the one that they that they win? And sort of being a bit anxious about that, but it turned out, and especially you know when they go one 0 up at three mm-hmm. minutes in or one minute and whatever it was can't remember you know you do sort of the little seeds of doubt just start to creep in but um, and that's why I think your volley was quite a key goal really looking back you know I'd not really thought about it until I was sort of doing this researching this thinking that you know I think it was only about a quarter of an hour to go when you, you equalised yeah, yeah, you know it wasn't long for them to see it out and then maybe get that monkey off the back of beating York but you know it was a key goal I mean you played sort of different roles but you've played different roles over your mm-hmm. career but that remains the highest sort of goal scoring season you've ever had is, mm-hmm. is there a particular sort of reason for that I don't know if sort of Gary gave you more freedom or it was just one of those that it was a purple patch and everything you hit went in what what do you kind of put that down to combination of things really you know I was sort of given a licence to just go forward and get in round the box get shots away and stuff like that and the two lads that I was playing with predominantly and Scott Kerr and, and Andre Bucard were naturally you know more defensive players and although it was it was generally Curry that you know that did the deepest one with me and Books sort of a, ahead of him but quite often Books would, would drop in quite deep as well and it just gave me licence to, to just go and some of the, the as I've touched on before some of the sort of free flowing attacking football that we were playing we were just creating chances for fun and we'd blow teams away like Wrexham like Luton within sort of half an hour 40 minutes of games it would you know they'd be almost done and dusted and we had as again a, a touchdown we had, we had five players in double figures so I think it was just a you know a combination of all them things of, of being that wee bit higher up the pitch and of, of some of the the football that we were playing that we were creating chances so freely that sometimes it was harder to miss them yeah because I think even you know there was games like beating Braintree 6-2 thinking off offhand and, but then there was other ones like Grimsby where we won 2-1 where it sounds like it was quite a close match but actually in reality yeah. like you said about blowing teams away I mean it, it, Grimsby couldn't get a ball off York mm-hmm. for, for large periods of mm-hmm. that game and he must have been incredibly privileged to be part of that side oh it was it was unbelievable it really was it was it was so enjoyable and we used to have so much fun even in training and stuff like you know the lads would be just trying chilly little flicks and it was all just ticky taggy football you know it was yeah, a pleasure to be a part of him I suppose Andre Bucard was a, he was a, you know a big driver of that he liked to get the ball down roll the studs over it a few times and you know flick it around the corner to somebody and whatnot. and you know some of the rest of us kind of just got on board with that and we were we were getting them them tags of you know from a few managers that we played against of like the Barcelona of the conference and the Arsenal of the conference and, and stuff like that and it, it, yeah it just all seemed to click for us and we had the, I think we had a you know a good blend of players that all 
complement each other really well and that you know that added to it I mean the season culminated obviously in reaching the playoffs and, and you, you played your part as York sort of navigated past, past Mansfield in a tight semi-final then obviously the magical week of, of Wembley twice the FA Trophy final versus Newport Gary uh, and I think some of the other players I've interviewed in the past always seem to think that you looked sort of white as a sheet in the tunnel and, and w- was a bit nervous and I just wondered now I've got a chance to speak to you how yeah. you actually felt about it he mentioned this at the at the Wembley twice reunion thing and I can't remember that I can't remember anybody saying that at the time so I don't know whether that's one of them stories that's grew legs over the years but I think everybody was obviously you had a few lads like say Engie and, and Pars that had played there before and, and maybe knew what they expect but I think for all the lads it, it was new to you know we all were you know, sort of looking around and thinking, you know, this is this is incredible. This is, you know, we're playing at Wembley here. But I don't remember ever being overly nervous. I'm not scared to admit that I get nervous before any game. I think a lot of players do, and I don't I don't remember it being a lot more than than normal. Yeah, I've always wanted to ask that. Yeah. <laughs> obviously it's no. been a couple of years ago since someone's mentioned it. Um, I mean, I, I think Wembley really suited your game. I mean, you know, great big pitch, wasn't it? Nice conditions for you to sort of stamp your your passing style onto the game, and you played a great part in the build up for the second goal with a sort of pass outside of your boot to Ashley Chambers great through ball and put it across for Lanray to score again it, it must have been such a good feeling to sort of have that style that you played football that, that side to, to sort of have it played on the, on the you know the, the greatest occasion and spectacle yeah. and, and place for you to play football I suppose it wasn't until the, the Wembley twice reunion that I actually seen some of the goals back and, and looked at it and thought that was that was pretty good though, and I, I suppose it'll maybe be when I finish playing and that I maybe look back on on moments like that, you know, a wee bit more, and hopefully the boys are interested and I can I can show them that. And but yeah, as I say, I've never really never really looked too much into it or thought too much about it until obviously we had we had the the reunion a, a few months back. But I, I just I remember about that trophy final. I remember never being in any doubt that we would win that game, even though I think they'd. They'd beat us twice, or they'd, we'd been beaten Drew, or whatever it was. They'd, you know, our league form against them wasn't wasn't great. But I just I just remember turning up by the end, thinking there's there's no way we'll we'll not win this. And you know, to do it in a, a bit of style, and it was it was comfortable at the end, really. You know, two 0 I can't remember when the second goal was scored, but it was was it yeah. maybe twenty minutes to go or something like that. It was we were never really in any any no, danger. I think they hit of, the post, didn't they? But I, but I think you're right. I think that was probably yeah. Their, it was you know, maybe It was a nice thing. way to do it, really, because it was you know everybody was quite relaxed and could really enjoy the moment. And it felt like a bit of a dress rehearsal as well, obviously for mm-hmm. the week after. And, and of course, the Luton final. I started writing this question down, putting that you were dropped, but that sounds so wrong to write about. But you were left out, shall we say? Mm-hmm. When did you find out that that you weren't playing? Because I, I think I've sort of heard from others that Gary would often sort of save the team quite late. Yeah, so it was the morning of the game. We were, we were just on our way in to to have our pre-match meal, so it would have been about half eleven, maybe. If it was a three o'clock kickoff, I'm not sure if it was or it wasn't, but generally about three, three yeah. and a half hours before is when you have your, your pre-match meal so we were on our way in to have that anyway and he just he pulled me to side and, and told me and uh, yeah disbelief was uh, probably the only sort of word yeah, I can I mean, use to describe you've been such a mainstay of that side pretty much all season haven't yeah. you yeah, apart from like you mentioned you were wearing Northern Ireland a few times but that must have been so hard to take and, and oh. how, how did how did you react to it what can you do if the manager's decided it must be very difficult to argue against it, but but you must have been devastated. I was, and as you say, like you, you can't argue against it because he's made his mind up, and that's that's a decision. You, you're not going to change it. So I just took it on the chin, prepared as I normally would for the game, and yeah, maybe someday I'll ask him if there was any other reason why or whatever. I don't know, but I, you know, it still doesn't. 
I still can't really get my head around it. Not so that you had, did you have any? That was the other question I was going to say. Did you have Absolutely. any inclination that, that that? So you went to bed the previous night thinking, "I'm starting oh, tomorrow." Absolutely, yeah, yeah. There, there was no inclination at all. You know, we'd had the, the last game we played was the the trophy final the week before. Certainly hadn't done anything wrong in that game to to, to warrant um, being left out and. As you say, like you know, I'd, I'd played so many games and and made such a, a big contribution that season that it was just yeah disbelief and yeah as I say maybe maybe someday I'll ask him about it if there what was the real reason why or or whatever but it worked out all right in the end. Maybe it's because it? he thought you were so nervous the week before and obviously, well, obviously yeah. you weren't. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, still none the wiser really. And, and when John Challoner went down injured and there had to be a bit of a reshuffle. Did you expect to go on? Because I know Scott Brown came yeah. on, didn't he? Who, who had, conversely, had, had hardly played all season. Yeah, that one's actually probably equally as surprising. To be honest, you know, it, it's it's done now. It's nothing. Yeah. It's something yeah. that, you know, I don't really, you know, go back and go over. But again, maybe when I do finish playing... Yeah, sorry for bringing it up. No, no, you're all right. It's <laughs> fine, don't worry. But... Yeah, I fully expected. You know, as soon as as soon as Charles went down, I, you know, I fully expected that, that was going to be me on, and then decision to put Brownie on. To be fair, he actually did really well when he went he did on. Did play very well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't. I'm not really sure. Yeah, I, for I, the reasons I, why that. The reason it, I was asking that was I wondered whether he, it was maybe you know your disappointment at not starting, whether he thought you, you know your head wasn't in the right place. But it sounds to me like you obviously acted like a consummate professional, and and. Well, I thought I did. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe that was in the back of his mind or whatever, but that's. I suppose yeah, you'll have to ask him them questions, but yeah, yeah, it's not something that I've I've ever asked about, you know, or had explained to me. But that I wasn't going to start asking them questions when we just, you know, been promoted and we had a lot of celebrating. Was hanging up those yeah, exactly. Luton rest in peace, Sandra. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mention that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but obviously York City back in the football league, like you say, after eight years, Gary Mills kept his promise to you, didn't he? Say that we were going to get promoted at the start yeah. of the season. Did, did you harbour any sort of hopes of getting a Northern Ireland call up because? I remember speaking to Michael Ingham saying it was a lot harder when you're in a non-league and it was a little bit of bit of snobbery maybe, but being back in the football league, did you sort of think, I've had those caps early on in my career through the age groups, I might get a chance now? Or Yeah, I can't remember. I can't remember who I was speaking to, but somebody somebody had spoken to, to Michael O'Neill around that time about me and he had sort of said that you know I was on the radar and I'd been sort of close to, you know, to getting a call up at, at various times. I don't know how true that that is yeah it was obviously it was a natural progression of things where I thought you know back in the football league now and you know hopefully I can kick on and it was something that I was hopeful of you know of, of getting involved in that Northern Ireland senior setup but it wasn't to be you know I think that that ship's probably sailed now <laughs> um, at my age but you never know yeah that's know. that's that's I suppose is a disappointment in, in my career that I didn't you know get that senior cap but as I say it wasn't to be and uh, you know incredibly proud of the, the under 21s Cubs. And, and you've made the step up pretty well, I think, to, to the football league. I mean, scored at home to Oxford and, and Burton, and two of the sort of probably high points of the season for the club. And you picked up a bit of an injury when, when Gary Mills was was sacked. And how did, how did you feel about the decision for, for Gary to be, be sacked from his role? Because you know, like I said, you know, you had a real good relationship with him. It sounds like, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. he was the one who dropped you for the for the final. What, what what did you feel about about him losing his job? I thought it was probably too early, to be honest. I know you know we were on a a wee bit of a decline from probably the new year. I think I remember we was it Exeter we played at home early January and I think if we'd have won that day we'd have gone into the playoffs. And then from then we had a, a spell where we weren't necessarily losing games but we weren't picking up wins. Yeah, a lot of draws. We had a lot of draws in, in sort of January, February and I don't know if maybe we actually ended up that season, you know, as you'll as you'll know, staying up on the last day. And I feel rightly or wrongly that we would have been safe sooner than that had Gary Mills stayed in the job and I just felt that it was maybe a, a bit 
early. I, th- I felt he should have been given a, you know, a bit more time to turn turn things around. But these are the decisions that people have to make, and I suppose with the football league status, it was you know so so hard to to come by, and it, we'd had eight years without it that. You know, maybe that was the played a, a role in, in making that decision. Yeah, um, the thought, thought of having to go back into the non-league, yeah, I think, exactly. would have probably been quite a, a tough one for the chairman to, to sort of think about at the time. Nigel Worthington came in, a you know, well-respected figure in in Northern Ireland. I guess you mm-hmm. know, w- what was your relationship like with him, and were, were you quite excited about him coming in? Given you know, I think you were involved in the under twenty-one setup when he was mm-hmm. um, the, the senior manager. Yeah, just kind of took it in my stride, really. As it was, I suppose it was nice that somebody that I, I knew that you know was coming in into the role in the end really it didn't work out for me you know because ultimately he released me but at that time you know it was quite positive that you know I could still have a big part to play you know in the running and and beyond but but that wasn't to be and you know that these things happen in football these things happen in, in life I suppose it just you know takes you in a different direction and yeah that's just that's just the way it worked out and it's sort of strange how how football can change so quickly because there must have been such a a contrast of emotions for you from a year before when you know you've won twice at Wembley in a week you know the open top bus parade and all that sort of thing and 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 even sort of early on in that season like I said you know scoring you know a few goals in the football league and York City nearly got in the playoffs and that to be then a few months down the line you're being released Mm -hmm. what's that like when you when you get told it that you're getting released yeah it's never nice but that you know it shows you how how quickly things can change in in football both positive and negative but I was still surprised to be honest even though you know I hadn't played much of the run-in I was I was still a bit surprised to be released and especially probably looking back now that I was 22 came off the back of a you know a real good season and season where I'd contributed you know a lot in the conference and then still made a, a decent contribution and played a, a fair amount of games in, in League 2 and I suppose if you were looking at a 22 year old now with those sort of numbers appearance wise and goals wise and whatnot, it would be like it's a, a no brainer there's no chance we're getting rid of him I think maybe maybe a wee bit harsh in that sense but again as I say that's it, it took me in a different direction and um and that's a, that's the way things were, you know, panned out, and you know, I'm happy enough with that. What what was his reasons for? Did he did he ex- explain his reasons for releasing you then, or was it, or is it just really. you called in and just you know we're not offering you contracts and away you go? Sort of yeah, thing. I think that was pretty much the gist of it. To be honest, I remember being not overly disappointed in a in a way, in a strange way, because the style of football wasn't something that I was overly enamoured with. You know, I remember sitting watching a few games and sort of half thinking, I'm quite glad I'm, I'm not involved in that. You know, I mentioned to you earlier about going to see him one, one time to, to ask why I wasn't in the team and, and he kind of said, said, like, I know you, I know what you're capable of. And I, we're in a relegation battle, unfortunately, and if I put you in there, you're probably going to try and get the ball down and, and play a bit. And I don't really want people to do that in the middle of the park at the minute. I, I want people to put their head in, put their foot in and, and help the ball on into areas for us. And I suppose he admired his honesty that, you know, he wasn't he wasn't giving me some fairy tale of um, you know, nonsense. That, you know, he, he was he was telling me how it was and I think there was a wee bit of me that was like, well fair enough then that you know, I am not sure yeah. I really want to be you know, be a part of that if that's what you know, if that's what the remit is. There was a contrast, wasn't it, to Gary's style, wasn't it? I mean, it, it couldn't have been polar opposites. I know, yeah. I know. Nigel had the success, and he went on and, and had good success for York City and was effective in what he did. But, but it was a complete contrast to, to Gary Mills. Yeah, definitely. And it, it felt a wee bit to me as I know some of the lads that you know had obviously been in the conference did stay on and, and did go on to play a fair amount in League Two uh, under Nigel. But it felt a wee bit. Like he was, he sort of looked at that as like, right, you're the conference 
team, the, the sort of non-league team that you know we need to we need to go on from that. We need to sort of break that team up and and you know get new players in and and, and try and move things forward. You moved on to Grimsby Town, and featured a lot in your first season. I managed to watch the goal that you scored in the FA Cup versus Northampton. A few stepovers in there. I've not, yeah, yeah. Not seen that before. <laughs> uh, was that the high point of your time? Because you, you know you looked like you really enjoyed it. The celebration, sort of running around the back of a goal and. And I think that sort of secured a third round game, didn't it, against, was it Huddersfield? Yeah, or yeah. Like that? yeah, that was second round, FA Cup, secured a third round draw. So I remember sitting around the TV and watching on the Sunday, watching the uh, the third round draw, you know, hoping for a, a United or a Liverpool or Arsenal or Chelsea or something like that. But we got Huddersfield and they were a good side in the Championship at that time. But we actually, you know, we ran them pretty close and I think we, we had them... We were two one up against them, and they scored two in the last ten minutes. If I'm if I'm right, and knocked us out. But I suppose looking back on at the time that season felt like it felt like a bit of a disappointment because the aim was promotion. Club like Grimsby, massive club. That was you know we had to to get out of the, the conference and get back in the football league. That was the aim, and and we fell short of that. But when you look when I look back on it now, we semi finals of the FA Trophy third round of the FA Cup and a semi-final of the playoffs and probably wasn't all that bad a season really but ultimately you know when you when you don't get the promotion clubs like York like Grimsby like Hartlepool and you know I went on there it's it's seen as a sort of a failure yeah because the expectations are so high yeah, isn't yeah. it and, and the team that knocked you out in the playoffs was Gary Mills's gate said wasn't oh, it yeah. as well um, but you didn't feature in either leg sub not use that, that must be really hard when you are fit and you're not kind of involved is it was yeah. that almost harder than if you were sort of injured and sat, sat in the stands I suppose I've never really thought of that what, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure it's strange being on the bench because you because you have to be ready at any point probably more nerve wracking being on the bench rather than being out there on the pitch you sort of the nerve disappear as soon as the whistle goes and you get into the thick of it but when when you're sitting there you know on the sideline it, you kind of think about everything that, that, and you're you're constantly you know trying to make sure you're ready and if a player um, goes down you, yeah, yeah exactly so I can't remember an, an awful lot about either game to be totally honest with you I remember the pitch invasion from the Gateshead stroke Newcastle fans because I think there was about 10,000 there that day but that, you know, that's, that's about all I can remember from that to be mm. honest and you ended up joining Gateshead didn't you in 2015 yeah. was that quite a good fit for you you know that familiarity in the North East and, and kind of getting that regular first team football again yeah I think it was the second season at Grimsby I think I started the first 10 games of the season or 11 games of the season and then just out of the blue we played Lincoln away on a Tuesday night and I got pulled to the side and said you know you're not playing tonight and I think that was probably the last game I started that season it was like early September or you know middle of September that's a big game isn't it yeah it was yeah yeah. and yeah that was it was one of them where I I found myself out of the team and then at other points of the season found myself out of the squad completely and I ended up that that season you know I think that's probably the least number of games I've I've played in a season I sort of I knew the writing was on the wall there from quite early on and it was yeah as you touched on there you know going to Gateshead and and getting back to playing week in week out and and getting that regular first team football was you know it was exactly what I needed at that stage at at 24 you know I needed to be playing you know I didn't want to be sitting on the sidelines or sitting in the stands and yeah I, I love my time up there to be honest, and I, you know, I played a lot of football over the the three years that I was there, and we probably, you know, we were always in and around the playoff places, which for a club of you know of Gateshead size, no disrespect to you know to that club as you know com- compared to the other clubs I've played for, but you know, I feel like we were not punching above our weight because we had good players always, but you know, we were, it was 
we were certainly, you know, challenging at the right end. I have a question sort of ever. Did uh, Gates had almost underachieve? I mean, I looked at sort of Ryan Bowman, Danny Johnson, yeah. Liam Hogan. They all played at a lot of higher level, didn't they? And, yes. and you, you were, like you say, you were, you were kind of competing really well, weren't you? But just sort of missed out. That, that was sort of the story of the of all, not so much the last season. I think the trophy run kind of interrupted and the, the club was, was being put up for sale. Um, and I think all that stuff going on sort of, got in the way of the league form but certainly the first two years that I was there was you know real sort of push for for the playoffs and then just you know fall short at the end and yeah I suppose especially that second season that middle season when you look at the squad we had Manny Smith Liam Hogan Jamal Fifield at the back we had James Bolton yeah Ryan Bowman up front although he he moved on to to Motherwell quite early in that season people like Wes York Gus Mafuda we had you know we had good players right across the board Danny Johnson scored a lot of goals and yeah maybe I suppose in, we did underachieve for the team that we had on paper but there was I think there was only five four playoff places at that stage and there, you know there were some real good teams you know up there alongside us and uh, and challenging for it but enjoyable enjoyable times and yeah good times I mean 145 appearances I think I noted that you made for them yeah. and 16 goals one of which I out underplaying by saying it, it was Lionel Messi-esque <laughs> versus Dover but you, you literally picked it up from a halfway line and just sort of slammed your way through the, the whole of the sort of Dover side was that the best goal of your career? Yeah it probably was yeah I can't remember it an awful lot I, you know but I've obviously I've, I've seen it back because I think at the time BT Sport you know tweeted it something along the lines of what you've said there like Messi Messi-esque or whatever um, so obviously I've seen it I've seen it back but I, I think I just picked it up and sort of turned and and started running with it and it, it, things just seemed to open up for me you know I went past one or two players and then I was sort of right at the heart of their back four and I thought if I, you know, if I beat another one here I'm you know I'm three on goal and got in there and swung my right foot at it and it ended up in the corner and yes it probably does go down I think I've scored some good goals in my career but that that probably is the, the best one and my family were over that weekend but that's always telling me to run with the ball more and, and you know get at players more so for him to see that um, you know that, right was, foot that well. was nice yeah right foot yeah he used to, used to tell me that all, all the time when I was a kid as well to, to kick it with my right foot and not rely on my left all the time must have felt pretty smug that night then <laughs> yeah. you saw him after the game yeah. you played also in the in the 6-1 demolition of York in 2016 and got a great reception from, from the York fans that night whilst I'm sure you must have enjoyed the, the win and, and you know the part you played in that you must have sort of thought as well what has happened to York City because I mean, it was only four years after Wembley mm. twice what what was your emotions uh, that that game? I remember driving to the game and being really nervous and really desperate to win and put on a good performance because playing your old club. I think I remember Neil Aspen actually saying to me after the game, you'd have hoped it had gone well, but you, you couldn't have hoped that it had gone that well. And we were just so dominant that night. It was probably one of our best performances of the season. York at the time probably caught us on a bad night because, and I think as well, maybe the, the first half, if you remember, was we were dominant. But I think it was one each at half time because right, yeah. the, the penalty, which was a quite contentious, and I remember Neil Aspin running down the, the touchline to remonstrate with the, the linesman. And I remember at half time, his, his sort of team talk was like, You've been so hard done by here, you should be well in the lead, and there's no way we should have conceded. And, you know, go out there and, you know, see at home and, real, you know, prove that, that we, sh- we should win this game. And second half was like, Every time we went forward, we scored pretty much, and yeah, it was it was incredibly enjoyable because at that time I was a Gateshead player, and that's all I was focused on was Gateshead. But I suppose yeah, part of me did sort of look around and think, you know, what's happened, and a little bit of sadness of like to see the club, you know, in that in that state. 
Yeah, because I mean, all the York players got booed off and, and shouted and stuff like that. I and mean, then I remember you and sort of Jamal got almost a stand innovation. It was such a weird well, I think, sort of concept, really. I think we just, both me and Jamal, just, we, I think we were on that side of the pitch where the, where the York fans mm. were. And York fans has always been, been good to me. So I think it was just natural reaction just to, to give them a little bit of a round of applause. And, you know, it was well received. But yeah, I didn't really think too much too much else about that. It just, yeah, enjoyed, enjoyed the night as as a Gateshead player at that time. I'd love to say it was York's worst performance of the season, but we got beat 6-1 at uh, Geisley a few weeks later, so there we go. Um, one, yeah. Made the relatively short trip across to join Hartlepool, but you were sort of on the fringes before Steve Watson, who'd managed you obviously at Gateshead, made you his first signing at York. They say never go back, but was it quite an easy decision for you to, to re-sign for York City? I think it, it was at that time. Things never really worked out for me at Hartlepool to be honest from minute one really I actually I don't think many people know this but I got meningitis in, in pre-season that year and I missed a, a big big chunk of pre-season and I, I always felt I was playing catch up from, from that minute on and we started the season pretty well and then sort of stuttered a bit and there was managerial changes and you know lots of different things going on and it was it was strange actually because we played we played Gateshead on New Year's Day and um, Steve and Mickey were, were still at, at Gateshead at that time and I was on the bench that day and I remember Mickey saying to me in the warm-up would you fancy coming back and I said well yeah I'm, you know I'm, I'm not in the team at the minute so have a word and you know see what can be done and came on and scored the winner for Hartlepool that day and then sort of drove home thinking well there's a good chance I'll be back at Gateshead by you know the end of the week and then heard nothing more from Steve or Mickey and for maybe a week 10 days and I was sort of thinking you know what why say that if you know mm. if, if there was nothing in it or you weren't really interested you know why why sort of mention that and then I remember finishing training at Hartlepool one one day and I had a text from one of my mates saying Steve Watson to York and I texted him back and I says I can't see that happening to be honest and he, he texted me and he said, no, 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 it's, it's been announced 20 minutes ago. It's done. It's happened. And then it was over the next few days, we, we had, you know, a couple of conversations. And, you know, I was I was living, we'd moved that summer previous to, to talk with it was at the time. So, and I, you know, I wasn't in the team at Hartlepool. It felt like with Steve and Mickey coming on board that, you know, things were really on the up. And it felt like the right time for me to, because I'd had opportunities before that time to come back to York. But at that time, it, it they never felt right. This time, it, it felt like, yeah, this is this is the right time to, you know, to come back. There, there is always that, or there was always that sort of little niggling doubt of people say, you know, you never go back and it'll never be the same, especially when the first time round was so good. But it felt like the right time, and it was sort of too good an opportunity at that time in my career and my life to to turn down, and it's going all right, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think York were in any real danger of sort of going down, and definitely weren't going up. But I think they were sort of in need of a bit of pride being restored that mm-hmm. that time that you came back. I mean, you got a header at Geisley, and you got three in fifteen. We sort of optimistic that Steve and Mickey were sort of getting the club back on the right track. Oh, absolutely, yeah. It felt like there was a bit of a feel-good factor coming around it. Big upturn in, in form. I think, you know, you say about no real danger of going down, but I think I remember first or second game, had we lost maybe, and I think it was Ashton or someone like that had won, and the gap was down to like, I don't know, six points, you know, to the relegation zone with mm. 14 to play or 13 to play, whatever it was. While I never considered for one second that we would actually get sucked into a relegation battle, it was one of them where we needed a couple of wins quick. Yeah just to make sure that we weren't. And we went on a little run around February. And I think at one stage we had an outside chance of, you know, of sneaking a playoff place, which didn't materialise in the end. But it was definitely like there was green shoots there and lots and lots 
of optimism, lots to look forward to going into that summer, you know, ready for, for a full season to have a real good go at it. And York did have a decent go here, didn't they, the, the next season, flying early doors. I think your only goal of the season was, a, was the volley at Darlington oh, yeah. away, which, uh, again, was, one of, you know, I think one of your best goals. Yeah. Did, did you sort of know as soon as I had left your foot that, you know, you'd hit it sweet enough that I was going to... Yeah, top corner. I think I remember being so tired that I couldn't even think about bringing it down and trying to play. I just thought I'm going to volley this because I'd been out injured and I think I'd only trained two days and we had someone go down injured on the training on Friday or whatever and I remember getting a text from Steve on that Saturday morning saying, can you start for me today? And I was like, yeah, fine, yeah, absolutely. And I think, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd had barely any pre-season I'd been out for whatever it was seven or eight weeks and yeah just being so so tired that I, I couldn't even think of bringing it down and just had it on the volley and it was nice to see it you know nestle in the corner and you mentioned there that you had a bit of a disruption with pre-season and the pre-season before you had meningitis yeah how big is pre-season then for footballers is it is it a real like if you if you don't have it you i know like a lot of footballers think it's a bit of a pain to get back yeah. in the groove of it and feel achy and stuff and and doing all the running and, and stuff like that but how big a deal is it i feel that it sets you up, you know, for the season. And you know, although you get your you get your sharpness and your your match fitness from playing games, you know that that base of fitness that you that you build through preseason, I feel is important. And you know, if I sort of look back at my career, the seasons that maybe I've taken a while to get going, have probably been the ones where where I've missed preseason, where you're you're you know you're playing catch up a wee bit in that early part. I think once you get sort of beyond Christmas, maybe you know you can start to. As long as you're playing regularly, you can start to get into a rhythm, and you can and you can find, you know, some form then. But certainly for me, I feel it's massively important. Some players maybe might disagree with that, but yeah, I definitely be, you know, say it's a big part. Sorry, I digressed there, but I just you're thought it right. was a good question to ask you. Look, looking back, do you, do you think? I know it went to points per game, didn't it? And and we lost out to Kings Lynn that season. That for me, it feels like the wheels had come off a little bit, hadn't they? And 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 really, at one stage, it, even if it was going to come to points per game, we should have still got promoted. I think we were eleven points clear after beating sort of Chester and Boston, and you know, to sort of get pegged back was was really frustrating, wasn't it? Yeah, it seemed like we were. I didn't actually know that that we were eleven points clear at one stage but it did seem like we were good way in the lead and then all of a sudden within two or three weeks it seemed like they're right back on our tails so I think they were relentless at one stage and then we sort of were similar form to them through sort of Christmas and New Year and the game at their place at the end of January was probably a big one where I never felt like there was anything in that game it was probably a draw all over it and you know they they nicked the goal and got a win out of that but we weren't in scintillating form by any stretch but they were in terrible form in those last I think they'd they lost five out of seven or whatever. They had a lot of games to play in a short period. Yeah, time, and, and they start to catch up with them. I think. Yeah, they they lost a you know a good few before the the lockdown. And they, I don't know, you know, if we had to play, what do we have eight games left? Maybe something like that. Yeah, something like that. I think I think we probably would have got over the line, but yeah, who knows? If, if Butts and Mary's who knows? There. Yeah, exactly. And, and the playoff semi versus Ultranim. I mean, I mean, it must have been hard for you to sort of have any influence, really. I, I watched some of the highlights back, back recently. It, did it affect the players having to sort of play behind closed doors? And you know, I think I think back and sort of think if I was a, a full house at Boven Crescent, like the Boston final was a mm-hmm. full house at LNER, pretty much. That, that I think that could have given you guys the extra ten percent and and maybe yeah it was just it's such a strange time I think we maybe only had like three weeks or four weeks or whatever it was to you know to to get back into training and prepare for that game no other teams were really playing at that stage so we we couldn't play against anyone couldn't have any friendlies the first couple of weeks we had the training 
groups of three or four, whatever it was. So I think we we maybe only had a, a you know a full that we had like time slots where one group of four would turn up at half nine, the next group at you know half ten, whatever. So we only had a full team session maybe the week before and. I suppose Aldringham had had the benefit of playing Chester the week before and I don't know how much of an influence that had or not but we weren't really at the races that day at all were we and you know I think Aldringham were deserved winners and that was a massive blow at the time because having been you know in the lead in the in, at the top of the league for chunks of that season and thinking that you know this was our year you know for it to, to come crashing down like that was you know, it was hard to take, but I suppose looking back on it now, you know, I suppose no York fan would have wanted the extra, whatever, two seasons in the National League North. And to be honest with you, I probably wouldn't have wanted the extra two seasons in the National League North. But to do it the way we did in the end, maybe it just wasn't the right time. Yeah. You know, the, to, to do it the way we did it in sort of centenary year with the... Uh, a full house at the brand new stadium and that it was just like the stars aligned for us didn't yeah. they and you know yeah I think I certainly look at it as you know it just wasn't the right time and um, we got there in the end with an incredible day for it that will live long in the memory yeah because the season before I mean it's really hard to analyse isn't it it never really got going I just wondered what what was it like for you the, the sort of uncertainty around the fixtures and sort of trying to stay fit but not having a game to play mm-hmm. and you know contracts are very short at, at mm-hmm. this level of football isn't it how do you reflect on that time the 2020-21 season yeah that was a car crash to be honest it was it never ever got going it was you know, games played behind closed doors. You never knew, like, Friday night, Saturday mornings, games were getting called off. You never knew what was happening. I think we had two or three lots of squad isolation, which was two weeks at that stage, within a period of about seven weeks or something. And it just, yeah, it just felt like it, it never got going and it felt like it would it would never finish. And to be totally honest with you, I think a lot of people, towards the time where they were discussing a possible mini league and a, a null and void and whatever and I think most people were of the the thought of like let's just scrap this and start again next season because it's going nowhere we would have had a hell of a lot of games to play and it, it just it was it was weird really weird as I think as I said I wasn't overly disappointed that it was you know it was sort of right let's forget about that one let's start again in July you know last season you know what a roller coaster but but a season where you started off announcing that you were having a you were going to become a joint sort of playing and sports scientist role. Mm-hmm. What what does that role involve? And is this sort of like a long-term ambition of your sort of post-playing? It was something that was put to me by, by Steve Watson. And my initial reaction was, I'm not sure about that. And then the more I thought about it, I thought, that's perfect. Because it it's an area that I'm sort of keen to, to go into after, you know, I finished playing. And, it, you know, I did a... a sports science degree started that one and I was actually at Grimsby and finished it I think I was actually at York on loan when I finished it so it's an area I've always been interested in and, and something that I want to go into you know after football and it's it sort of gives me hands-on experience you know of, of that side of things and also from from the club's point of view you know we didn't have someone in that role and that's something that 10 11 years ago when I first came into non-league football was completely unheard of no no clubs at this level had fitness coaches sports scientists strength and conditioning coaches anything like that and now is is quite commonplace and a lot of clubs do have them so the club didn't have anyone you know in that role or in that position and it, it kind of i think it works for for both parties that you know they get someone to fill that role who's, who's also you know doubling up as a, as a player and i get sort of you know a bit of hands-on experience and cutting my teeth if you like in that 
world where I'm hopeful of going into when I, you know, when I eventually hang up my boots. And, and is that something that John Askey supported then since he's come to the club? Yeah, you know, I don't remember any any conversation where we actually sat down and said, you know, you're going to continue in this role, or I'd like you to whatever. You know, it, it just kind of be uh, it, it was just kind of seamless. Where and maybe that helped the fact that you know it, it came in. Um, yeah, under Steve and, yeah, yeah. and seen me sort of you know in that role for a few days and, and kind of just was you know was happy enough you know for me to continue on that but you know I've enjoyed it and uh, I think I've got some value in it I'm pretty sure the club have got some value in it some of the lads have you know been quite complimentary with stuff they've said to me about it and whatnot. so um, now I feel it's, it's, it's been positive I mean, like, like I said, a roller coaster season last season. You know, even starting in pre-season where it was unbelievable, some of the results and you know against the caliber of opposition as well. But but then sort of three games in, three defeats. You're, you're playing left back, and yeah. it, it all felt for me as a fan like a typical York City. You know, we, we we get this sort of hope, and then and then it comes crashing down. That, that inconsistency ultimately, ultimately sort of cost Steve Watson his job. I mean, what, what was your relationship like with him? Because you'd played for him at two clubs and. How do players feel when a manager loses his job? Do you feel guilty? Do you feel, you know, what, what's the emotions like? I suppose there's there is a wee bit of that where you, you know, a manager doesn't lose his job if results are are going well, and ultimately results come down to, well, everyone involved, managers and players. So yeah, there is a, you know, there is a, a bit of guilt if you like. But then, I remember sort of thinking, well, you know, could I have done any more? And I I felt personally like I'd given. You know my lot that I'd I'd left no stone unturned that I sort of felt like I shouldn't really feel guilty that that was just the way that you know football works at times and um, obviously it was slightly different because I'd played with under him before and you know he'd he'd brought me to the club um, and I had a good relationship as him uh, with him you know as a person but you have to just move on and you know contracts are are short as you as you've touched on and you, and you have to kind of. It sounds awful, but you have to look after yourself. And you know, I had to just throw myself into playing <clears throat> under the new manager and uh, and trying to get results as as quickly as possible. And and the results sort of didn't come really initially for John Askey. I mean, I look look back to sort of um, January. I mean, the defeats three 0 away at Kidderminster, three 0 at home to Bradford Park Avenue. And I just wondered, sort of, you know, you're an elder statesman now, as as it were, and and, and a bit of a leader. We've said about your captaincy early on in the interview. What was said after like the Bradford Park Avenue game? Because John doesn't really come across as someone who would shout at a players. I mean, that, that's just sort of the impression I get from the sidelines. But what what was that dressing room like? You know, are, are people kind of having a go at each other? Is it is it quiet? What was it like? There was bits of everything. I think. Yeah, there was people having a go at each other. There was, you know, lads with their heads down. And I think the main thing that that I took from that was it was probably the worst result of of my career that night but if you actually analyse that performance if you if you watch that game back I don't think we were that bad we were probably worse in other games we started off that game very well and it seemed to be like once they con- uh, once we conceded it it looked as if we had no idea of how to get back into the game or it just seemed to you know completely unravel from there I think they had three shots on target and, and scored three goals and I, I don't think we created it I'm not for one minute trying to you know, say that we deserved anything from that game. But I think there was a, a wee bit of like, we have an idea of what we're trying to do here. We need to sort out certain areas and, and certain things within that structure and within that plan. But let's not get our heads down about, you know, one game of football. And, you know, we we can't 
sort of feel sorry for ourselves because that's not going to get us anywhere that we, we have to go into the next game full of confidence and, and, and you know try and go and put a performance on and I think in a way we were probably lucky that it was it was Gateshead the league leaders that the, the next game that it was a wee bit of a free hit for us and there were weird conditions that day as well I remember the wind really windy yeah. really um, horrendous but that kind of helped didn't it because their kind of philosophy was to sort of get the ball down and play wasn't it I think it was hard yeah. for them to sort of do what they were good at yeah and I think we put a you know a, a much better performance and, and that sort of you know, galvanise things a wee bit and to be honest with you, I can't remember what came after Gateshead. Well, but. it's interesting because I've put here, you know, something obviously changed in that last part of the season and and I think as supporters have their own sort of thoughts on what game it was that, that sort of changed the, the tide as it were, you know, whether it was drawn with Gateshead, uh, the comeback against Morpeth where we were 2-0 down, 1-3-2, yeah. winning at Fylde, who I think that was the first time I think York had beaten anyone in the top seven. Mm. And I just wondered if it was a particular game for you where you started to think, well, hang on a minute, this, this, we could get a bit of momentum here and, and this could sort of turn into a yeah. positive season. You're probably going to laugh at me here, but Alfreton, between Christmas and New Year, was when, and I know there was some really, really bad result. I know Bradford Park Avenue came after Alfreton. Kidderminster obviously came after um, Alfreton game as well, but... Just because you've got the winner. Yeah, that'd be yeah, pretty much yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that game seemed to be like the things that we've been working on. Right. Starting to see them. We completely dominate it. You know, it was a one 0 game, but I think it, it could quite easily have been three or four. Yeah, completely dominated that game and it was like, you know, the things that we'd we'd been working on in training, the the style and the, the structure that we'd been trying to implement were starting to see, you know, fruits of that and yeah, we, it was sort of like you know a couple of steps forward, and then we had a few huge steps back, and then we went forward again. Probably the Morpeth one as well, you know, had a had a big influence because we'd started that game so well, and then found ourselves two 0 down, and it was, you know, we were getting a bit of stick from the crowd as you would expect, and we didn't come from behind. That you know, yeah. over the last few seasons, that that was you know, I don't think we'd or if we had, you know, it wasn't very often. We certainly didn't come back from 2-0 down and that, you know, it was almost, yeah, that was, you know, probably a little bit of a, a turning point that we'd, everybody had sort of rolled their sleeves up, dug in and then dragged something out of that. that it felt game. like the first time the, the fans had really sort of Everything come together, hadn't they? Like, like the South Stand was that, you know, because there was three goals at that end as yeah. well and to get one in the, in the last minute as well, yeah. it, it seemed to, yeah, just sort of be a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, sort of, as it were. Yeah, and I don't know if it's just sort of sprung to mind there I don't know if you remember the the 2012 season we we scored a 90 second or third minute winner against Stockport yeah at home oh I, I think it was later than that was it, was it? Like blink on yeah, it was, yeah, like nine minutes yeah. in I think and late goals do do strange things to you you know it, it's conceding late goals is the worst thing ever and, and scoring late goals is, is you know the elation that comes with it um, so yeah maybe you know maybe that Morpeth game had a big part but for me Starting to, starting to see what we were trying to do, was coming from Alfred um, right. onwards. Oh, that's that's really interesting. I mean, I have to mention uh, Malskuya, who I thought was you know a fantastic addition, a real key man in that running. Um, and I also thought he was brilliant when we played against him at, mm. at Hereford and, and Europe against him, sort of in the centre of midfield. Because I think he was a bit more central for, for Hereford at the time. How, how did you find playing against him, and did he sort of stick in your mind for? He started he started that game wide, for Hereford. And I think he hit the bar, is that right? Maybe early on, cut in from 
and I think he ended up playing a wee bit more central. But yeah, he was he was lively that day, and he was you could tell that he was probably their best player, and he was always a threat. You know, when he was getting the ball in round the box, he was always looking to to try and make something happen, whether it be a cross or a, a shot or or whatever. So, you know, when when we found out that he was coming in, that was you know that was a big boost for us as well. That you know it added you know extra quality, and I think it's his first game. Unfortunately for for him and for everyone was away at Kettering on an, on mm. a horrendous pitch where he wasn't really able to get into the game and and show what he can do. But I think you know as the the season or the the block of games that that he came in for as that went on, you know he, he really grew into it and made some big contributions. Yeah, much rather have him in your team and against against yeah, definitely, you. Yeah. Um, I mean, as if a, and the season wasn't stressful enough, you, your wife went into labour during the Leamington game, and I remember me and Paul, who, who commentated for Hospital Radio, we, we were sort of really puzzled, thinking we well, didn't see him injured. It's quite ruthless by John asking her to take him off. I mean, t- just talk us through those events how, how they played out. So yeah, she was actually she was due on the nineteenth, which was Southport, Southport away, and there was. There was no sign of of anything happening, so it was go and play at Southport. Played that, yeah. I think we played the Tuesday night. I think that was the Boston game, actually. And again, no sign. And sort of, I was probably more nervous or anxious of something happening in those two games, being away at Southport on the actual due date and and home to Boston. I think once it ran on like three, four, five days later, it was like, well, baby's not coming anytime soon. So Saturday morning. She was having some like small contractions, and I remember we went out for a walk, and I remember saying to her, "Are, are you all right?" And she was like, "Honestly, I'm fine." Like with our our first boy Owen, she said, "Like when when I got to this stage with Owen, it was still another three days, whatever. I don't know, can't remember." And she says, "Look, don't be daft. You you know you can't miss the game for for this. I'll be absolutely fine. Go on and 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 play." And it was yeah, half time we were. We were just about to go back out onto the pitch for the second half, and and the gaffer sort of called me over and uh, outside the, the change room, and and he said, "Look, your wife's in labour. You know, she wants you to go." And I, I think I was kind of taken aback by it, and I think I said something like, "Is that all right?" And he just sort of looked at me and said, "It's going to have to be," and laughed. And you know, I know Brownie always sort of tells a story of seeing me because I, I I went back into the change room, took my boots off. And put my trainers on. Still have my full kit on, shin pads a lot, and you know, put my rucksack on and have my boots in my hand. And he said, "You walked out like you know a school kid going to play a Sunday morning match." And he, he said it was just really funny. And yeah, drove home. And I remember speaking to my mother-in-law on the way there, and she had she had been with Fiona during the afternoon, but she had left to take Owen round to her house to Fiona's dad. And speaking to um to Cathy and, and she'd sort of said things were happening but she didn't sound overly sort of stressed or panicked or worried that it would be sort of imminent but she had got to, to our house you know a couple of minutes before me and I remember just walking in the door and she was standing in the hall and she says get upstairs get changed you need to go and I, yeah straight up change of clothes quick shower whatever what, like literally 30 seconds got Fiona in the car and, and drove her to the hospital and I think we got to the hospital about Five to five, ten to five, and Finn was born at ten past six. So it really was like, <laughs> you know, touch and go. Yeah, perfect. Then Kurt, Kurt Willoughby scored as well. Who came uh, yeah, on exactly. You. Yeah. And you got the headline, Daddy McLaughlin. So yeah. all's good. The, the playoffs coming coming onto that, it, it it did feel like York had the the momentum, not too dissimilar to sort of twenty twelve. How, how did it compare, and and what was the belief like 
as it because I don't know it wasn't that long ago that lost 3-0 at Alfreton but then all of a sudden it did just sort of seem to sort of the tide did seem to turn and and it did sort of feel like certainly the fans believed for once that, that mm-hmm. we could actually do it what was it like for you as a player especially if you'd been through it twice we had that sort of you know good spell of like February March and then around about Easter time there was a, a little bit of a blip but everybody had a blip in the league It, was, it mm. I don't know whether that was just good fortune for us or whether that was just like you know the, the the amount of games that everybody had you know caught up with everyone but it, it you know nobody seemed to want to take that at that stage it was like there was one playoff place up for grabs and nobody seemed to want to take it and then Chester away was a big night because it was you know we we had to win that night really you know we'd have we'd have give ourselves a mountain to climb I think if we hadn't have won that night and went there put on a really good performance and, and came away with with three points and I think from then on we sort of believed that you know this is this is ours now you know and, and if you'd have said to anyone that we'd finished fifth in January they'd have laughed you you know they really would have laughed at you but we got on a nice you know a nice bit of momentum and uh, I suppose when it when it got to the playoffs it was just like it sounds cliche but it was like let's just take one game at a time and just see where we end up and probably after we beat Chorley I remember thinking like this is ours to we'll, we'll win this away at Brackley I never felt like we would lose that game at any point especially after the you know they missed the penalty because they started really brightly but we sort of grew into the game and then after we'd scored and they missed the penalty and I just yeah I had a thought of like you know that they're never ever going to score here and we're mm. you know this is this is ours because um, they'd had an incredible season under Brackley I mean they kept yeah. 21 points clear but I think the difference for them was that they were in stuck in that playoff spot for su- such a long time weren't mm-hmm. they that that York were almost not grateful to get in it, but having got into it sort of late, just had that momentum, didn't they? Whereas Brackley had to sort of well, almost wait around for the playoffs to start. And, yeah. And it's, it becomes like a, a mini cup competition, I doesn't think, it? Like everything goes out the window. I think they, both them and uh, Brackley and Kidderminster were kind of in that same position of like they, were, they weren't going to win the league and they weren't going to be, you know, they were always guaranteed a playoff place where it probably affected both of them and the, the games that they were playing. Although the, the lads would have been up for it and they'd have been wanting to win and giving their all and preparing right and everything else, they don't mean as much as, as we had to win. Chester away, yeah. we had to win. Filed at home, Farsley away, we had to win these games. They were, you know, they were big pressure games that we'd sort of been in that position and we'd had these cup finals, if you like, for a few weeks. And I, I remember at Brackley the gaffer actually touching on that and saying like Brackley have had nothing really at stake for a few weeks you boys have had it you know you had one on Wednesday night or whatever night it was against Chorley and yeah it just it felt like we just had the momentum the, the word that you know we were just just bouncing through the games we had so many lads running on empty almost and carrying knocks and but just grinding in you know running themselves into the ground and a real good team spirit and togetherness that you know that pulled us through. And, and what's John like, sort of before the, the playoff games? What, is he, is he someone who gives you a big speech? Is he someone who who talks a lot? What, what is he like in the dressing room? Probably not dissimilar to to what anybody sees in, in the in the public. I don't I, I don't really changed from the league games to the to the playoff games at, at all. I don't think anything was you know was really different. We we knew the messages that we'd been. You know that we've been given and what we were trying to do, and you know we always had a, a game plan and always worked on 
you know we were up against it looking at the opposition and whatnot and, and it was it was just a, a case of reiterating those points that the time it came to the games you know all the work had been done on the training pitch or, or during the week and it was just you know fine-tuning that and then just you know reiterating points and uh and telling us to go out and, and play and uh and try and win a game of football and how how big was having two of those games at home because I, I think the the south stand atmosphere well the whole ground really but but the south stand you know with the sort of younger element you know quite boisterous mm. and, and and quite you know vocal and, and it makes for a good atmosphere what how big a difference does that make to the play, players and was it a big deal sort of knowing that boston had won it filed and that meant that the final was going to be at home certainly you know having the chorley game at home was massive and it was at that stage it was probably like well realistically this is our one our one game at home and i remember walking out the tunnel that night and the noise because I, I hadn't really thought about it so it kind of took me on you know unawares I, yeah i remember just that the noise hit me as I, as I walked out the tunnel that night and i'm thinking this is you know this is what it's all about this is this is proper football and then yeah as it, you know as i touched on it's like stars aligned for us you would never ever in a million years have, have believed that that boston would go and beat kidderminster and then go and follow it up and beat filed and, and we would have you know a final at home in front of a, a sold out crowd I actually remember speaking to a guy in the gym after the Chorley game and he was asking, you know, where would the final be and whatnot and I sort of, you know, gave him a, a quick rundown of if they beat them and whatever else and, and he was like, well, Boston aren't going to beat them so it's not going to be at home, is it? And I just said something like, well, you never know and, I, you know, I don't think I really believed it but to have that game that day in the in the brand new stadium which which is incredible in itself was just yeah something else really and maybe before the game but certainly during it I, you know I, I felt like we were comfortable and that you know I always felt that we would you know we would get over the line and we got over the line and and you got to lift the trophy so is that something you appreciate more given that you know 2012 you were you were a very young player weren't mm. you and probably thought you know I might get loads of promotions and and stuff but after another 10 years playing you know how did it how did it compare exactly you know what you what you mentioned there is it, when you're young you kind of take it for granted it was my first season in senior football and we'd, we'd won the, the trophy on the playoff final and I you know I thought oh this is this is great if it's like this every season then you know brilliant <laughs> I remember John Chalner on the pitch whatever can't remember which which one it was at, at Wembley after the game and he was saying like you're so lucky you've done this at, at 21 he said I've I've had to wait I think he was 31 at the time he said I've had to wait till I was 31 to, to do this and he was like you've done it at that age like that that's incredibly lucky and I I kind of brushed it off as didn't really, old yeah I didn't really take too much notice of it and then you know it's only as you as you say as you as you get older and lots and lots of near misses playoff semi-finals trophy semi-finals even even this year, um, you know, trophy semi-finals, and you like you start to think, you know, am I ever going to get another one? But you you, you kind of think like you grow more hungry to get mm. another one, and you know, it's definitely definitely something that you know I, I savoured and you know really enjoyed. And you'd be hungry to get another promotion before you definitely, out. yeah. That's at the end. Of course, that's you know that's that's been I've been lucky enough to play for clubs that that have always been challenged at the right end of the table to the point like as I, as I mentioned earlier of you know playoff semi-finals and playoff final defeats were seen as a failure so that that's really all I know and I think most you know most clubs will go into you will have clubs and divisions that that sort of think before the season well if we can stay up we'll be a good season or mid-table will be a good season but I, I've always been we should be 
challenging right up at the top of the table trying to get promoted and you know you see where you go from there so it would be absolutely incredible if if you know if i could get another promotion but let's just see what happens so we said we'd, we'd finish off with you naming your all-time york city 11 i've mm-hmm. given you a few weeks to yeah. to consider it have you, are you ready to reveal yeah well yeah i'm ready to reveal it I, few weeks to consider and I, I don't know if it's made the, the job any easier I know when you when you first asked me I kind of thought oh that'll be easy that's that's not a problem and then I sat down and I went right goalkeeper that's easy and then I went that's that's not easy at all but I settled on Pete Jameson in goal and he'll be raging the only reason why but I said to you I sat down and I, I said well that's easy Ingy in goal and then I went oh Pete, I totally forgot about Pete. The guy that you've been playing with. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I sort of flip flop between them for a while. And the the reason why I've I've gone for for Pete in the end is just because I feel that he probably had more more to do. Really, he played in in a team where he probably saved us more than Ingy probably had to. Ingy, I think he won't mind me saying, at times, you know, stood back and watched some lovely football unfold in front of him don't get me wrong he had his, his he had his big big moments and you know kept us in plenty of games I'm sure but I feel Pete probably had more of a more of an influence and maybe had to, to take more of the burden and that's yeah that's why I've gone for he was for, player of the year last season wasn't he he was yeah, yeah. just what mentioned the Harrogate move <laughs> yeah right back right back uh, again really tough between Lanre Oyabanjo and John Challoner but John was never a natural right back, although he done you know an incredible job there that season. But I think I think Landry just has the edge on him at right back. Two centre halves again, tough. You know people like Chris Smith missing out, club captain. Uh, you know promotion back into the football league. Jamal even missing out. You know played with him at, at three different clubs. But I, I settled on uh, Dave McGurk and Ben Gibson. I think that you know two Middlesbrough lads, centre half pairing. But I think Dave McGurk, he's a club legend, and I, I think you know most people that's a you know he'd be a shoe in in most people's team. Um, I probably didn't see the absolute best of him. He was probably injuries were catching up with him a wee bit, but you know there were still signs there that of you know how good a player he was. And when Ben came in, I think he was 18, came on loan from from Middlesbrough, and straight away you could see that. Like he, he he didn't play an abundance of games because I think he only came in towards you know the tail end of that season. But straight away you could see that you know he had a, a big big future in the game and even just his demeanour around the place, his his personality and for an eighteen year old kid to, to come in and be thrown into the thick of a, a you know a, a playoff push and, and a promotion and he, he took it all in a stride and he's he's obviously it's gone on career, and, and had it? an yeah. incredible career. So that's yeah that's my two centre halves left back James Meredith again I think. Issue and in most in most people's teams. Although to be fair to him, uh, David Ferguson was you know was a real good performer for for York in his time. But I think uh, Mez you know just edges that one. Midfield. So I've gone four three three. Midfield three. I've gone for. Did I put myself in by the way? I, I was just going to say. Is that, it's, up, is that, it's up to you. Yeah. Can you put yourself in, or you can be the sports scientist sort of warming them up for the game. Um, yeah, that's tricky. I'm gonna to have to put myself in, aren't I? If I don't, then nobody else will. You know what I mean? So, so I'll put myself in there, and I'll put Akil Wright and Andre Bucard alongside me. Akil was a colossus for us last season. He, he was, he was brilliant for me to for me to play with. It, you know, really enjoyed playing with him. He just covered so much ground, and it was such a driving force in there. And Andre Bucard was probably still the best player I've ever played with, even you know, and I'm including Newcastle and and. and 
Premier League players in that. Like, I've interviewed about ten people from that era, and they all say the same thing. Like, He's different level. I can't remember if it was Michael who said that he he scored a goal. You're playing two touch. He managed to get from one side of the pitch to the other. Just to use two touch and see about step Yeah, over, yeah. I don't know what it was. He just just so naturally talented would do incredible things with the ball, like always studs on top of it, rolling it over and ball manipulation. But he, he just never seemed to to lose it. You know, people with two and three players around it, and he would somehow find his way out, or it was a little flick over someone's leg, or it was. Yeah, I can't really explain it because he wasn't prolific in terms of goal scoring, but just he could run a game by himself. You know, just by he'd have the ball on a string. So yeah, that's that's my midfield three. So, but and again, you know, I'm missing out people like Scott Kerr there, who you know that incredibly hard done by and probably yeah probably if I'm taking myself out then Scott Kerr would probably be in there because he was you know he was great for us as well in that in that holding role that season even people like Mitch Hancock you know massive massive contribution last season and a big influence and you know towards the the momentum and the, and the, the, the running yeah there you go yeah there you go. so yeah that's mid, midfield three myself Akil Wright and Andre Bucard and up front two positions were absolute no-brainers in Jason Walker down the middle and Matty Blair off the right. Jason was probably I feel underrated as a player, even though you know he's had it he had an incredible career, but he was so so clever in his movement and little touches. You mentioned earlier about reasons why I scored so many goals that season. Probably Jason Walker had a big part of that as well because he would just he'd be able to find you with a little one touch layoff that you'd be in acres of space and real, real clever footballer and scored some unbelievable goals himself. Bicycle kick and you know, I remember a volley and against Bristol Rovers with his left foot. So yeah, probably definitely probably one of the best strikers, you know, I played with in, in my career. Matty Blair, that you know, doesn't need doesn't need explaining that one. He twenty odd goals in, in the promotion season and just he could run all day long. And you know, I sometimes say to people now, like it wasn't just that he could run all day long, he could run fast all day long. He'd he'd start sprinting in minute one and he'd still be sprinting like in the ninetieth minute. He just he never seemed to get tired and he just had a knack of finding himself in positions. I think I think all twenty of his goals were one touch finishes. He was just in the right place at the right time to to finish chances off and would graft so so hard for for the team you know he'd be up and down that right flank he was definitely on side for the, oh, the final one miles on side um, <laughs> so one more spot one more spot one. and this is yeah this is another real real tough one probably up there with the goalkeeper position of you know the one I found toughest Ashley Chambers would probably was in my head all day long you know that the position was his and I think because of that front three you know, worked so well together. He was in all day long, and then I, I thought about Clayton Donaldson, and I thought, how can I leave Clayton out? And especially, you know, when you, you see the Clayton's performance in the final. I thought it was his best performance of the season. Colossus, absolute colossus. He, you know, he, he he put in a hell of a shift. He was up and down all day long. He was nobody could get the ball off him. He was for for thirty eight. Like he he was he was unbelievable. And I think he yeah. With the career he's had as well, and probably his, you know, his work rate and his energy up and down the line, and you know, his, his finishing ability and everything else, you know, I'm going to give him the nod over Ash Chambers. Chamber will not be too happy with that either. <laughs> but he's very, very unlucky to miss out, as are you know, lots of people. But you know, it was it was only when I sort of sat down and I went through it all, and I thought, yeah, I've, I've played with some decent players. Yeah, um, it's a strong side. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm sure I could put together a good bench there as well for. 
I just hope we've got seven subs and not five. <laughs> you have as many as you want. I mean, Paddy, it's been great to have you in, and, and um, you know, it's great to have someone in the studio as well because we've obviously with the pandemic and everything. You know, I hope you've enjoyed going over your whole career and, and yeah. reminiscing. And who knows, in a year we might do part two when you've got another promotion under your belt. That'd be, that'd be nice indeed. It would be uh, would be very nice, but you know, let's see, let's see what happens. But you know, thanks for having me. It's been uh, it's been really enjoyable. Always nice to talk football, and yeah, thanks again for having me. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Really loved speaking to Paddy there. Really loved hearing his uh, all-time 11 there. And I just wonder how many uh, messages he's going to receive after this for the people that didn't get in the team. Obviously, it was a tough ask for him, um, given he's got had two spells at the club. Also, big thanks to Mark Woodhouse, who's sponsoring uh, not just this, this episode, but the series as a whole. His company, n e Woodhouse Plastering, a York-based company. Um, they've been going since 1963 they do York and the surrounding areas and that's plastering whether it's sort of contemporary housing or Tudor renovations they kind of use traditional methods so if you're interested in that check them out on Facebook they've also got a website uh, woodhouseplastering.com and uh, more importantly Mark is a diehard York City fan and has been since the 1970s Next week, we've got Russell Penn on the podcast. Another, well, I think it was a pretty good interview. Really honest, Russ, about uh, both his spells at the club. And in fact, every I think every player on this podcast has had two spells at the club. Obviously, uh, people love York City and keep coming back. We also have another spin-off podcast from York Hospital Radio coming out very soon called The Crux of It, which is a kind of homage to York City's first ever home. And it's... It is effectively what was the kind of preview review shows that we had on York Hospital Radio and York Hospital Ball before. Just felt like it was time to kind of separate it a little bit from Hospital Ball and, and with all the new sort of changes of ownership and everything and the, the kind of promotion, it felt like it was a good time to kind of launch um, something different. But back to Hospital Ball, if you've like enjoyed this episode and you want to donate to our charity, please do so. It's justgiving.com forward slash York Hospital Radio. Other ways that you can help the podcast, if you listen to this on Spotify, please give us a hopefully a five-star rating, but whatever rating you feel feel it's worth, uh, just by kind of at the top of the kind of show, there should be an option there on the left to sort of say rate this show, so that would be helpful. Also, if you listen on Apple Podcasts to give us a review, these sort of things all help um, kind of put us in the certain categories of those two respective kind of platforms and, um, you know, spread the word to to other people. But until next time, thanks again for listening and thanks again for the support you've uh, shown me recently and uh, hopefully I'll bump into a number of you in the new season. And, um, yeah, uh, thanks again. <laughs>